Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. All right, then, if you have a Bible, uh, I would love you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Wonderful. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, I know the reading may come up on the screen for you, so if you are without a Bible, don't worry about that. If you're a guest and you've just come today, then we will make that a little bit uh, easier for you. But I want to read from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 3. Now, let me just set a little bit of a context here. This is a man called Paul is writing to a church in Corinth. And the backstory is Paul really, along with members of his team, planted this church. And it's an amazing church. Now, it has some struggles. Like every local Christian community, it's, it has this paradox of having spiritual gifts flowing through it. And yet it's also got issues of big dysfunction happening inside it. And that's the glory of the church. You know, it's filled with imperfect people who make mistakes all the time. And so Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he says, you lack no spiritual gift, but if you read the two letters together, we're talking about a pretty edgy church and it's got some serious issues. And Paul's having to write to them to sort of explain to them why he has the right to speak into their life. Uh, He won't impose himself on them, even though he's helped plant the church. He wants permission to speak into them. And as you read the passage we're going to read, you'll catch something of Paul's struggle, something of his pain in the midst of this journey. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'll read from verse 3. And it says this, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, Bad report and good report. Genuine yet regarded as impostors. Known yet regarded as unknown. Dying yet we live on. Beaten yet not killed. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Poor yet making many rich. Having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you Corinthians and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts to us also. You can hear the tenderness of that passage, can't you? His appeal to them. Um, One of the challenges is, uh, in in the journey that I've been on in the last few years, has been uh, the connection between the idea of being disappointed and living in disappointment. Uh, And it feels like the same thing. It feels like the same idea. There's a natural connection that if I have become disappointed in something, 
that it feels like the natural progression of that idea is I move from being disappointed to moving into disappointment. Yes? Feels like a natural thing. And yet I've discovered this more so in the last probably three or four years of my life that that is not necessarily the case. That actually, uh, in order to move from disappointed to disappointment, I have to make a decision. Something has to happen. It's not a natural link unless I allow it to be so. Now, I've, I've been a Christian since I was eight years old, been in Christian ministry 30 years, and I've had to unlearn and relearn this lesson all over again in the context of my own journey. It is possible to be disappointed and not live in disappointment. But it's also, of course, possible to allow your disappointed to become a disappointment. And that's a very powerful idea and journey. Let me say this to you. I've discovered that disappointed is an event. Whereas disappointment is an experience. Okay? Let me let, just let, let's sink in for a moment. Disappointed is an event, something that happens, whereas disappointment is an experience. Maybe let me put it another way for you. Disappointed is a moment of crisis, whatever that is, whereas disappointment is a choice. Let me give you some examples that might sort of help with that. I'm a, I, I'm a Liverpool supporter. I'm happy today. We won yesterday. We beat Newcastle uh, yesterday. So I'm in a good mood today. So you're blessed. Um, so, so I'm a Liverpool supporter. Now, Liverpool get to the final of the cup and they lose. That's a disappointed. All right? They've lost in the final of the cup. That's a disappointed. That's an event. But I, in response to that, then take my scarf and my Liverpool football shirt and I burn it and I put it in the bin and I never support Liverpool again. That's disappointment. You with me? Okay, my, my sausage dogs, yes, that I love very much, pepperoni and salami, my two sausage dogs, they eat my favorite pair of shoes because we left them in the house one day. They've eaten my favorite pair of shoes. Okay, now that's disappointed. They've eaten my favorite pair of shoes. But then selling my sausage dogs on eBay is disappointment, right? It's moved into something else. Um, she let me down. That's disappointed. I will never engage in relationships again. That's disappointment. God didn't answer my prayer. That's disappointed. I'm never going back to church again. That's disappointment. Do you understand the difference? One is an event. It really happened. And we're not minimizing the event. Disappointed is disappointed. So, so one's an event. But, but something in my mind, my heart, is allowing that event to now dictate to my experience. I'm now allowing what happened to me to frame the way I look and think about my world. And disappointed happens to everybody. There's not a human in this room. In fact, there's not a human in the city of Cambridge right now without fear of contradiction. 
who has not, at some point in their life, been disappointed. It's just part of being human. Yes? So even spirit-filled, Jesus-loving Christians have been disappointed. But, but there is a huge difference between that being disappointed and then allowing that to become a disappointment. We have all met people who've been disappointed and yet they've not allowed that thing to become something bigger in them. Now, now we're not minimizing anyone's difficulty or challenge or pain and you'll hear that throughout the day. Not at all. But, but actually, we, we, in the midst of our disappointed, we have a choice. If we love Jesus, if the Spirit of God is with us and in us, the Bible teaches us we have the power of choice in these moments. And we have a choice at that moment to allow that disappointed that we've just experienced to then either frame the rest of our journey and become a disappointment and therefore stop God doing some stuff, or we can address that disappointed in a slightly different way. It's really easy to look at Paul and think like he was just... Superman. But when you read his letters and read not only the words but between the lines, you will hear a human being. You will hear a man who, yes, is absolutely incredible. He's gifted. He's talented. He is focused in the most staggering way. He achieves with his team outstanding stuff in his lifetime. But you also, if you read the letters honestly, you hear some of the challenges. You hear some of the pain. You hear some of the disappointed moments in his life. And they're there. And actually, in the passage that we've read, uh, we, we can hear that. If, if we don't just rush to the punchline, we can feel something here. Yeah, did you catch it right at the end of that passage? He says, we've opened up our hearts to you. But, but you're, you're a bit reluctant to open yourself. Well, I, I mean, if you're just going to be honest and be human for five minutes, you can hear Paul's appeal there. You can feel something of the disappointed in that moment. He's planted this church. He's helped these people become everything they've become. And they're sort of giving him pushback. And they're saying, Paul, we like you, but, you know, not that much. And, and they're withholding their affection from him. And this is this has hurt him. And so he's responding to them. And the response to them gives us some incredible principles of how we can respond to the disappointed. So I wouldn't need to have a prophetic gift in order to understand our people in this room who are carrying some disappointeds. Stuff's let you down. People have let you down. You may even feel God has let you down. But, but there, are, there are people in this room that have been disappointed. I, I, wouldn't need, I wouldn't need to be flowing in the Holy Spirit to sort of make that deduction this morning. So there's a fair good chance of it. Or there's a fair chance that if you're not disappointed, you might be this week. It might happen. Even in Cambridge. It might, it might happen. If it doesn't happen to you, it might happen to someone you know. Because it's just part of the journey of being human. But, but how do we then respond to that? In the passage we've read, I, I want to look at four threats of disappointment. Why disappointment is really powerful. And how Paul responds to it. Now, now disappointed happens to everybody. Disappointment is a choice. 
So you've got to sort of accept that idea before I begin or, 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 or my sermon's dead in the water. So, so, so if you'll work with me just for a few moments, this may help. But, but disappointment is a threat. It's a very dangerous thing. And you can be a lover of Jesus, spirit-filled, and a, and a locked and loaded member of this church. But if you allow disappointment to get a hold of you, it can literally imprison me and you. It can literally destroy what God wants to do in our lives. And here's even, even the great Paul is saying, I've had a bit of a struggle with this stuff. But here's how I've responded. Here's, here's some principles that I want to give to you. So there's the threat of disappointment. And there's, there's a response to it. Is that okay? So here's the first thing I want you to see. Disappointment distracts. It distracts us. We have, we have two gorgeous sausage dogs. They're absolutely beautiful. Of course, their, their official term is dachshund, which literally means badger dog. So, so these, these dogs were originally bred probably to dig holes or go into holes in the ground and chase after badgers or, or rabbits or anything that moved pretty fast and looked edible. Okay, so, so that's, that's, what, that's what sausage dogs do. And, and if you don't know, if you've never seen a sausage dog, they're sort of long and sleek. They look like a sausage on legs. Now, we have, we have miniature sausages, so they're sort of, you know, cocktail sausages we have, really, rather than proper full-size sausages, but they're there. And pepperoni and salami, uh, as I've already introduced, are their names. Now, here's the problem with a sausage dog. They're absolutely gorgeous. They're absolutely beautiful. And everyone, when you walk your dog, everyone goes, oh, look at the sausage dog. It's, just, it's, it's lovely. You just feel so. I, I remember walking one day and I walked past the lady and she said, oh, he's gorgeous. And I said, thanks very much. And she was talking about the dog, uh, but never mind. So, so people love sausage dogs, right? The big problem with a sausage dog, they get so easily distracted. If salam, salami can be walking with you happy and content, she sees a squirrel She's just off. She's gone. Literally. Just her eyes, her ears, she's off. And you will scream at her, you will shout at her, you will coerce her, and she's off. If you don't have her on the lead, she's gone. We literally, uh, a few weeks ago, we were walking in the Cotswolds, not far from our home, and she got distracted, and it took us almost an hour to find her in the woods. This little dog, this gorgeous little dog. <laughs> Distracted. Here's what I've discovered in life. You follow your focus. And what we focus on, we follow. Ever been behind someone uh, in the M25 or the M6 or the M5 or any major motorway or even an A-road and they're, they're, they're putting on their mascara or on their phone or they're trying to reach for their, for their sat-nav and you can tell if you're driving behind them. They're speeding up, they're slowing down, they're moving all over the road. Why? Because no matter how brilliant the driver they think they are, their eyes are dictating the focus and their body follows the focus. It is literally a, a principle called target fixation. You follow your focus. One of the reasons that disappointment is so powerful fills our focus. And once we become a person gripped by disappointment, once it moves from an event to an experience, it literally fills our eyes 
so that our, our life starts to follow the disappointment. Now, we don't even know we're doing it. It's like driving your car. You don't even know you're doing it. You're drifting and you don't even know. It's like the sausage dogs. They just see a squirrel and they're off because that's what they do. But actually, they don't realize they're in danger. They don't realize they could get stuck down a hole. They, they don't realize the million things that could happen to them while they're pursuing that gorgeous squirrel. Right? And that's what happens to us. We become consumed in a moment of disappointment and it fills our focus. And when it fills your focus, whether you know it or not, you're following it. It starts to dictate the journey. How does Paul respond to this? Look at his words. Well, Paul encourages us, instead of focusing on the disappointment, to focus on something else. Look at his words in verse 9. Because in verses 9 and 10, he gives us these four responses. Verse 9 says, dying and yet we live on. See that? He goes on to say, beaten and yet not killed. And note that passage really, note that phrase carefully. Two issues of focus. What do you got to focus on? There are two different things to focus on. You can focus on dying or the fact that we live on. Come on now. We can focus on the fact we're beaten or we're not killed. Now, someone's going to come at me and say, well, our focus is determined by our personality type. And I certainly, I certainly understand that's a factor. But the Bible worldview teaches us this. Now, this is for every personality type in the room. Your choice determines your focus, not your personality type. I understand there are people in the room, perhaps a little bit more melancholic in nature, and so they tend to look at a glass as half empty or half full the more positive people well it's half full the more melancholic might say it's half empty i get that i understand that but don't allow that to rob you of the power of this principle because sometimes we allow our personality type to excuse bad choices is that okay you with me and i've given my melancholy permission to dictate my decision. And I've excused my decision on my melancholy. When deep down I know it's my choice. So, so here's Paul. Paul says I can focus on the dying. Or I can focus on we live on. I can focus on the beaten. Or I can focus on the not killed. See that's the power of disappointment. Disappointment becomes the focus. So, so at the disappointed bit, that's the bit where we're making the choices. Which, what am I going to focus on? When, when it becomes disappointment, we've made that choice and we're allowing this thing now, whatever it is, we're allowing this thing now to dictate to us. We're allowing it to actually dictate to our focus and we follow our focus. Does that make sense? Here's the second thing Paul teaches us. And it's this disappointment deflates so it doesn't just distract us i think the power of disappointment as such is that it, it deflates people bible says this in proverbs 13 hope deferred makes the heart sick but a longing fulfilled 
is a tree of life. Now note that, note that. It says this. It says that, that when hope doesn't happen, when there's disappointment, it makes you sick on the inside. Now, we may have a debate. Does that mean literally, physically? Well, that there are serious studies out there that show that actually sometimes some of the internal things we think about literally affect our physiology. And there may be experts in the room who can help us with that. But, but without going to that world, here's what the Bible's suggesting. When we live in disappointment, the result of that is, at the very, at the very least, we're not living in the well-being and the health of our soul that God wants us to live in. And that's what contrasts it to, but, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, note that. It, it's saying this, that when, when you experience fulfillment, it's like an injection of life into you. So, so hope is like making you, uh, hope deferred is like making you sick. But when a longing is fulfilled, it is like injecting life into your soul. That is a powerful spiritual principle. That's not just a physiological principle or a psychological principle. That is a theological principle. That actually, if I allow this disappointment to take a hold of me, it's like, it's like it deflates me. It literally makes me unwell on the inside. I don't know if you've ever had a slow puncher in your car or your bicycle. People love riding bicycles here in Cambridge. It's a very bike-friendly place. But, but I, I, I remember I had a slow puncher once in my car, and I sort of played this game. And the game was, it's not a real puncher, right? Because I can pump it up, the tire that is, and, and it'll stay pumped up for a little while. So it's not like it's flat, flat. It's going flat. But the hole is small enough to not be completely flat. So if I, if I just keep pumping this up until I can get it fixed, now of course the proper responsible adult thing to do would be to take my car immediately to the garage to, to, to quick fix and get it fixed, okay? Please, I have a puncture, even if it's just a tiny little hole, right? But, but because it's not that bad, I... I pump it up. And here's what happens. I I get used to the hole. I get used to the fact that there is a puncher in my tire. But if I just keep pumping it up, it'll be fine. Now, now the problem, of course, is every time I pump it up and every time it deflates, the hole is weakening. And the danger is I'm going to be on the M1 when that hole decides to, I've had enough. Okay, no more games. We're done. Okay. But actually, if we're not careful in our spiritual journey, we sort of do that. There's a hole, forgive me, there's a hole in the tire of my spirit. There's, there's a hole within me that this disappointment has created. It's not a flat tire. Nobody can really notice because I pumped up this morning. Only I know it's there. So if I pump myself up before I get into Cain's, by the time I get home, I can pump myself up again. Or maybe Keynes can pump me up a bit. <laughs> now, the danger with that is the pumping up does not mask the hole. 
It's just delaying the deflation. The hole is there. That's what disappointment does. It fools us into thinking we're okay. We learn to live with the disappointment. We learn to live with the leaky hole. Instead of just saying, I've got a problem here. I need to get this fixed. Come on, I just need to get this fixed. And actually, look at Paul's language. Paul says this in the context of his journey. He says, sorrowful. Notice response. Yet always rejoicing. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about this this afternoon in the context of the power of praise in our journey of breakthrough and how actually praise can bring us to a place of freedom before release. And and Paul is sort of heading at that. If we had a a cheesy bumper sticker, we could say, Paul makes a choice to rejoice. Stick it on your car and everybody honks their horn at you. But there we are. You've got that sort of, Paul makes a choice to rejoice. And it sounds a bit cheesy, but actually there's a powerful truth there. He's making a decision to do something. He's not just ignoring the whole Sorrowful. Well, there's nothing like sorrow for, for deflating the tire. Sorrowful. Yet always rejoicing. Many of us will know the statement in Proverbs, quoted many, many times. Proverbs 18 says, The power of life and death is in the tongue. I've just, Pentecostals love that. We love that verse and we quote it. But actually, it's a couplet, it's not a single verse. When Solomon wrote it, he wrote it as a couplet. And there is a verse that precedes that verse in Proverbs 18, which really sets it up. And here's the verse that precedes it, okay? So it says this, From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. With the harvest from his lips, he is satisfied. Now let me read that again, okay? Now listen, stay with me. From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is filled. So from the, what's coming out of your mouth, the stomach gets filled. With the harvest of his lips, he is satisfied. So it's actually saying exactly the same thing twice, right? And then it goes on to say, for the power of life and death is in the tongue. Now, every time I've heard people quote the power of life and death, it's always words they speak to something or someone. Solomon teaches us these are words we speak to ourselves. That's a powerful idea that the words I speak are either fixing the whole or weakening the whole. So so the idea is this. When I speak out these words, they become food. That food then feeds my soul, which becomes faith fuel for my heart again. And then I speak out those words. And so what we end up with is a cycle. Now, now here, here's, the, here's the decision. It's either a cycle of life or a cycle of death. If the words I'm speaking are words of life, and here's what starts to happen. It starts to cycle upwards and produce life. If, if I'm speaking words of death, it starts to cycle downwards and produce death. That's why Solomon says, life and death is in the tongue. So actually, it's not just the one word, it's the cycle of our words. Here's Paul saying, I'm sorrowful. Something that I've experienced has made me sorrowful. Yet, 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 always 
rejoicing. In other words, he makes a decision to control his confession. Now, like everything, this can be abused. But don't throw out the truth because someone's abused this idea. This powerful thing. And actually, our response to to disappointed is often heard in our words. Isn't it? If we're honest. Come on now. If you're like me, your words give you away. Even when you work hard to cover them. They eventually give you away. And that's why Solomon and Paul are encouraging us to think about our response to the moment of disappointment. Yes, it's sorrowful. So he's not, he's not disguising the fact that he's sorrowful, but he's made a decision. I'm going to speak words of life into this situation. I'm going to speak words of life over my family. I'm going to speak the word of the Lord into my heart. I'm going to feed on that, not on the disappointed that I've just experienced. Because if you feed off the disappointed, it will produce death. So, so the only way to break the cycle of the disappointed is to feed on something other than that. Right? Got to change the diet. So if I keep feeding off the disappointed, I'm going to produce words of disappointment. So I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to stop eating that. Got to make a decision. This is not good for me. I've got to get the tire fixed. And not just keep pumping it up. Yes? You with me? Here's the third thing, really quickly. Disappointment, I believe, dispossesses. Has the power to dispossess us of what God has for us. It not only wants to rob us, it wants to rob our world. We heard it in our worship this morning. We have an enemy who comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, here's the thing. He doesn't just want to rob you. When he robs you, he has dispossessed those that you will influence, potentially. So if he's robbing me of something, then he's robbing me of the ability to positively influence my world. So my children get affected by my dispossession. My wife gets affected, in my case, by my dispossession. My boss at work gets affected. My employees get affected. My students get affected. My world gets infected by my dispossession. Why? Because I'm being robbed of something, and it is inevitable that what I've been robbed of will touch others. Powerful idea. I I was reading this week in my daily devotions, and I I was so moved, in fact, in reading this chapter, Genesis 35, just part of my normal everyday devotions. And Jacob and his favorite wife, Jacob had, had two wives, Leah and Rachel, and he really loved Rachel more than Leah. It's a very tragic and sad and very uh, difficult story in the context of Genesis. And this tension exists constantly. But Rachel was really his favorite, and Rachel was the one who produced Joseph, who became Jacob's favorite son, you know, the one that wore the coat and all that. But then uh, she also gave birth to a young man called Benjamin. But, but the, the tragedy is in Genesis 35, as she's giving birth to him, her second-born son, she dies. As she's dying, she calls him this, Ben-Oni. 
son of my trouble. Now, who could blame her? Giving birth to this boy has literally killed her. She's about to die. She knows it. And her last, listen now, her last breath, she speaks, Ben Oni, son of my trouble. The first words of her husband, her, the, the husband who adored her, the husband who idolized her, he loved Rachel more. He worked 14 years for free for this woman. It's one of the greatest love stories in the Bible. Yep. You don't know the story, read it. It's amazing. He works seven years for free, ends up marrying his sister. Don't tell me. It's a big story. Uh, And then he works another seven years for free to get Rachel. He loves this woman. So listen, his world is now collapsing. Not only has she given him a second son, which in the culture of the Hebraic world is massive to him, but as she pushes this boy into the world, she dies. So Jacob is going through this horrendous moment of pain. And the last words he hears his wife say is, Ben Oni, son of my troubles. But what does he do? He says, no, no, he's not Ben Oni. He is Ben Yamin, son of my strength. Thank God Benjamin got his name changed, right? Imagine walking through life being called Ben-Oni. Son of my trouble. Instead, he will walk through life called Ben-Yamin. Son of my strength. What changed it? A decision. Jacob could have agreed with Rachel. He is trouble. He's taken away the love of my life. I hate him. For what he's done to me. But Jacob grabs the moment. And instead of allowing disappointed to become disappointment. In one of the worst moments of any human being's experience. Surely. I can't even imagine being married to my wife for 29 and a half years. The pain that this man now endures. Yet he does not allow her disappointed to become his disappointment. Some of us in this room, listen to me, you've got to rename some stuff. You're going to have to do it. Because there's some stuff in your life, either it's there because somebody else named it, or it's there because in a moment of pain and disappointed, and, and God let you down and people, you called it something and it's remained that thing. Now come on, hear the word of the Lord. One person in this room, you've got to rename that thing. You've got to give it a new name. Give it a new name. Give it a name of faith and a name of life and a name of breakthrough. It won't change the fact that Rachel's dead, but it'll change the fact that Benjamin's now got a life. Didn't bring Rachel back, but it gave Benjamin a future. We can't change the past, but we can change the future. Come on. And that's the power of this moment. Look at Paul's reaction. He says, poor yet making many rich. I love this. If he, went, if he went on the first part, it's all over. He's poor. But he says, even though I'm poor by the standards of the world around me, by Rome standards, 
I am determined that Ben-Oni will be Benjamin. I'm determined that my poverty will not dictate to my decision-making processes. I'm determined that I'm going to break the poverty mindset. Wow. I'm married to an incredibly generous woman, and I thank God for that. I was raised in a generous house, and God has been incredibly gracious to me in giving me a very, very generous-spirited, generous-hearted woman. And without going into details, because it wouldn't be prudent, we've been through some stuff over the last three years. I'll talk a little bit about our family experience this afternoon. We've been through a few things. And here's the thing, when when a moment of Ben O'Nee happens, here's what you want to do. You want to pull in. You want to say to the world, get stuffed. You do. Well, at least as an Ulster Celt, I do. All right, maybe in Cambridge you're a bit more sophisticated in your spirituality, but I do. Get stuffed. I'm in pain. Look what's happened. I've lost a son. I've lost a wife. I've lost, I've lost. And here's what disappointment does. It focuses on the thing you lost. When there's something still alive. Rachel's dead. Fact. Benjamin lives. My goodness. And I want to tell you, one of the keys to breaking out of a Ben O'Ne moment is to be generous. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. It's bonkers. The last thing you feel like doing is giving yourself away or giving wealth away or giving time away or giving your energy away or giving your gifts away. You don't want to give anything away. You want the world to stop and say, look at me. I'm in pain. You should all be giving something to me. And in a moment of pain, Jacob gives something to a son that will be a legacy for thousands of years. Benjamin. In his pain, in his poverty, Paul says, I will make you rich. You can have whatever I have. It's a breakthrough. That, that's going to stop disappointed becoming disappointment. That's gonna, it's going to fight that off. Because when disappointment happens, it pulls you in to the vortex of selfishness, to the black hole of pain. And there's no getting out of that outside of a a move of of God within you or a decision to be generous. And generosity pulls against this gravitational pull of this black hole. Generosity refuses to be sucked into the black hole of disappointment. Generosity says there's a Benjamin in this tragedy. Come on, come on. Some of you need to rename something. And for some of you, you need to literally or metaphorically put your hand in your pocket and give. I know you're in pain and you're saying, oh, John, the world needs to give something to me. And listen, I, I, I hear you. I get you. I feel you. But, but the world just carries on. They don't stop for you. Have you noticed? Well, they don't. They just don't. They just carry on. When my father died of, of a heart attack, suddenly uh, suffering from cancer, the world didn't stop. It's carried on. When my brother died of cancer, 
world carried on. Just carried on. Hey, I've got a funeral to attend. It just carried on. So if you're waiting for the world around you to stop, hell will have frozen over and defrosted by the time that happens. Outside of the church, outside of your, your family. I'm serious. Don't, don't look at me like that now. If you are waiting for the world to stop and have pity on you, you're never going to break out of the disappointment. You and I have got to make a decision. What am I going to do here? Ben O'Ni or Benjamin? Come on now. Are you with me? Here's the last thing and then I'll finish, okay? And then we'll, we'll pray. The last powerful stronghold of disappointment is that it distorts. This is what I want to leave us with. It distorts. So it distorts the way you see your world. Okay? So, so let me say this to you. We see the world as we are, not as it is. So I see the world through my own experience. I see the world through the fact that I'm a man. The fact that I'm uh, a Christian. The fact that I'm married. The fact that I have children. They are all things that affect the way I see my world. So actually, I'm not just seeing my world as it actually is outside these walls or inside them actually. I'm seeing them through a certain view. Affected by my belief system. My experiences. My ups, my downs. My goods, my bads, my uglies. All right? And although I don't, I don't want to, I see the world as a white man. I see the world as a man. I see the world as a Christian man. I see the world as a leader man. I see the world as a father man, as a husband man. I, that's how I'm seeing the world. Now, now uh, you know, some of that can be bad, but my challenge is to understand that I'm seeing my world from my internal view. And the smart thing is to recognize that And therefore say, does my internal world match up with God's view? So it's how I'm seeing you the way God sees you. Or am I seeing you the way I see you? And what the power of disappointment is this. It so gets into us that we see everything through the eyes of that disappointment. It touches us. It distorts what is before us. Look at, look at Paul's response to this. Verse 10, he says, having nothing, yet possessing everything. Now, now I want you to notice this. This is a belief system response. So this is not just a, okay, I'm sorrowful, but I'm rejoicing. An action, or, or I'm poor, and I'm making many rich. An action, this response is a belief system response. Uh, having nothing Yet I believe I possess everything. So that's an idea that governs all the other ideas. So so Paul is saying, I am choosing to see my world as God sees it, not as it is, or not as people see it, or not how I would see it without God. I'm choosing to see it as God sees it. My, My dad took early retirement and part of the reason he took early retirement was because he became unwell and in the job that he was in 
they were going to offer him medical redundancy, which was all very helpful to a man in his early 60s having to take early retirement. And so my dad went for an interview, a medical interview, and uh, the, the, the person asked my dad a question. Being a Christian, my dad answered the question honestly. That answer was taken and... Uh, it needs to be said, was, was used in a way that was less than helpful for my dad. It, it took the fact of the answer, but interpreted it in a way that hurt my father. Some of you will know what I mean. As a result, my father lost all his medical redundancy. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of pounds. The shop steward of the place where my dad worked came to my dad and he said, he said, Alec, Look, we think we can get your money back. And all you have to do is say this. And if you say this, we have been given the nod that this will work. And my dad responded and he said, but that's a lie. That's not true. He said, Alec, it's just a lie. It'll get you thousands of pounds. And here, my dad had worked in that place many, many years. Everyone knew he was a Christian. In fact, they not only knew he was a Christian, they knew he led the local Pentecostal church just up the road. So he was sort of leading the church part-time as a volunteer sort of thing and, and doing full-time job. And they knew who he was. And here's what my dad said to this man. If I lie now, everything I have worked for, everything I believe, everything I have stood for in this workplace will be forgotten. I will become known as the man, the Christian, the pastor who lied to get his money. My father wouldn't do it and he lost, I can't tell you how much money he lost. It was a lot of money. We were on holiday together the following year when all of this had been done and settled and the kids and the grandkids were all playing in the garden. We were on holiday together and I said to my dad, just in a moment of quiet reflection, I said, Dad, do you ever, do you ever think about the money? And here's what my dad said, son, I never think about something I never had. And then he said something, my, my dad was a very simple man and he looked out into the garden. Here's what he said to me, I'll never forget it. Till the day I die, he said to me, look out there. He said, do I look poor? Do I look poor? See, see that, that's a moment where your value system completely clashes with the value system of the world around you. If you see the world as the world sees it, we're dead. If we see the world as disappointment sees it, we're dead. We need to step into seeing our world as God sees it. Paul says, I have nothing, yet I possess everything. So he chose to see his world out of what he believed, not simply out of what the world actually said. My goodness, if that's going to give disappointment a kick in the teeth, that'll do it. And the disappointed was he lost a lot of money, but he refused. I never, outside of that conversation, my dad never talked about it. Never moaned about it, never groaned about it, never complained about it. Why? Because driven by a different belief system. Now, as we draw this to a close, disappointed is an event. There's not a person in this room who hasn't experienced that. So let's just settle that. But disappointment is a decision. 
Can I say this with all the love in my heart? Some of us have given ourselves the permission to move into disappointment because we think disappointed and disappointment are the same thing. And they're not. Now, that's the first. Come on, grab that. They're not. The devil wants to tell you that your disappointment is just the byproduct of the disappointed. It's not. Disappointment is a decision. We step into it. And once we step into it, it steps into us. And once that happens, it begins to burrow its way into our spirit, into our belief system, into our vision, into our focus, into our behaviors, and it begins to drive the agenda. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to help all of us to make a decision. I will not allow any longer the disappointed to become my disappointment. I'm not going to allow the pain of that moment to to dictate my agenda. It's pain. It's real. We're not minimizing it, so don't, don't hear what we're not saying. It's very, very real. But we're not going to allow that to drive us forward. We're going to be like Paul. We're going to make certain decisions today, and let me remind you of them as we come to prayer. We're going to make a decision to focus on the right stuff. What does Paul say? Dying, yet we live on. Beaten, yet not killed. We're going to speak the right words. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We're going to encourage ourselves by doing the right things. Poor, yet making many rich. We're going to build on the right values. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. I felt very strongly in my spirit as I preached this morning that someone in this room needs to rename an event. Felt that very strongly. Felt the witness of the Spirit. Hadn't expect that to be so strong this morning on me, but it was strong. It became, it went from a, an issue of truth to something that felt prophetic. Felt like God was dropping a word into somebody's heart. And, and, and I want to encourage that response in just a moment. But for all of us, want us to look at the disappointment in our lives and say, we will not let that become our disappointment. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.